Like it or not, when you're a business owner, there are various legal factors to consider, but it can all seem extremely overwhelming, especially when all you want to do is focus on improving the health and well-being of your clients and that annoying paperwork just gets in the way. However, having agreements in place for both staff and clients, knowing how to protect your intellectual property and being clear on what makes a good investment opportunity are just some of the legal aspects that come into play at some point in your business journey. Today, I'm chatting with Jeremy Stredden, author of The Business Legal Lifecycle, who's sharing some key legal insights with us. And I promise you, the conversation is easy to follow and very interesting, even if legal stuff isn't your thing. So. Let's get started. Welcome to the Marketing and Me podcast. If you're eager to grow your health and wellness business via effective marketing methods while maintaining your own health and wellness, this podcast is for you. The show features a beautiful blend of guest and solo episodes covering marketing and business growth topics as well as ways to improve your physical, mental, and emotional self. I'm your host, Leanne Shelton, a health and wellness copywriter and content marketing trainer, who's here to help perfect your message, then find the right channels to send it out into the scary online world, with the ultimate goal of making it heard and seen by your ideal client. So feel free to book in a free 15-minute chat with me after listening to today's episode. The details are in the show notes. And today I'm joined by my guest, Jeremy Stretton. Welcome, Jeremy. Thanks for having me, Leanne. Looking forward to it. Yes, very excited to have you along. I'll just read out your bio so everyone knows a bit more about who you are. So Jeremy is a successful entrepreneur and a lawyer applying his passion and experience to help entrepreneurs and small to medium-sized business owners succeed in their ventures so they can live the life they want to live. Awesome. With a 17-year legal background as a business lawyer and eight of those years as a business owner, Jeremy has learned a thing or two about business. He's appeared on various television shows, podcasts, and radio interviews. He also provides regular content for websites across Australia. Um, actually, I want to touch upon that. So tell us more television shows. Is that like the Sunrise type thing or is it more of an SBS or um, Koshi's Business Builders or, or where have you appeared? I haven't quite cr- cracked Koshi's. I have written for Koshi's before, but I haven't yeah. I haven't cracked the, the Koshi show. No, uh, it, it's um, Sky News. I've appeared on Sky News a number of times. Uh, so in my legal practice, I we do a lot of property law uh, and uh, they had there was a call for a few years ago to get on there and talk about property issues and conveyancing and and general property matters for, for some time. So I appeared quite a bit on there and I also did talk about my book on there as well. Uh, so Sky News is where I was. Uh, some people don't like Sky News, but it was it was good fun doing it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, awesome. And yeah, and you brought me a book, which I, I have got a copy. Thank you for this. Um, called The Business Legal Life Cycle. Uh, would you like to just talk a little bit more about the book uh and basically why uh what inspired you to write it, highlight what it's about, all that kind of thing? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, thank thanks for that. Um so the, the business legal life cycle is a concept that I generated probably about five or six years ago now. Uh we're in 2021, if you're listening to this in the future. And uh, and and basically, it's a concept around 
uh, really trying to solve my frustration with the law being too reactive and not being proactive enough. So too often people would come to me with their legal problems and it was something that if they had just put in some legal steps early on that would have solved that problem and they could have solved the problem. And so they were just constantly reacting to problems rather than being proactive. So I got really frustrated one day and I was uh, doing a bunch of research on life cycles of businesses. And I started to think about, well, when did clients do things well? When did clients do things badly? And we mapped out a journey uh, through, and I say we, my business partner in my law firm and I, uh, mapped out a journey of when clients took certain steps in their business and when they did that well. And that's uh, the genesis of the the business legal life cycle. Uh, It's 13 phases and the book goes through each of those phases and what you need to do in your business from a legal perspective at each time and gives advice about who you should go and talk to 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 do that phase. So you, you might need to talk to a lawyer in some parts, but you also might need to go and see an accountant or a financial planner or a marketing expert that there are different uh at different phases, people have different requirements. And so the book was really born out of, it was born out of frustration. Uh, and uh, I suppose it's a, a lot of books are born out of that. And uh, it's been a really good journey because it's helped me to clarify my thoughts about when people should do things and really help people to understand what they should do and why they should do it. I love it. I love it. And do you have a favorite section? Is there one particular section that really stands out to you that you always refer to with your clients? Uh, It's actually phase four, which is bringing on employees. So uh, I I think this is where people get things wrong so often is that they get so eager to bring in a team member. They're They're so keen on it that they don't put the right things in place. And then two, three, four years down the track, personalities change, goals change. And because they haven't put the rules in place, that causes a problem. So whenever I'm talking to a startup business owner, I'm, I'm always talking about, okay, just because you're starting a business now doesn't mean that you don't need to put those things in place straight away because when you get to that phase, you want to be able to protect yourself. And so I'd say phase four, bringing on employees is my favorite because it's where I see the most amount of opportunity to help business owners uh, stop that those problems from occurring in the first place. Yes, I actually want to delve into that uh, shortly. I've done things a little bit backwards because you brought up the book and I've done done the book, but I actually want to hear, first of all, a little bit more about your business journey. Mm. So, I mean, you probably made these kinds of, mis- maybe you didn't make these mistakes because you knew all of it, but maybe there was other mistakes that you made. I'd love to hear in general, like where you've come from. Oh, I've, de- I've definitely made the mistakes. <laughs> the bu- that's the book- how you learn, right? <laughs> that's how you learn. And the book has yeah. stories about, about where I've made mistakes and where clients have made mistakes. I changed the names to protect their identities, of course. Um, but, um, but yeah, I, I've made lots of mistakes over the years. Uh, I think that you know, we learn by making mistakes. That's where we have our, our biggest learnings is where, where we make mistakes and we learn from them and also seeing where other people make mistakes and what we can learn from that. So uh, my journey, uh, you know, it's, it's been a, a roller coaster as, as I think all business owner journeys are. Uh, you know, we all go through our ups and downs of, of your trials and tribulations. And as I said before, we're at the coming towards the end of 2021. It's been a very interesting 18 months um, for, for everyone around the world. And we've had our own challenges that have come in there. Uh, but I really enjoy it. I wouldn't give it up for anything because I love I love the, the science and the the, uh, the learning of business and actually helping people to to see where, where they miss things and where they can come in and help uh, help themselves build a bigger and better business. So yeah, my, my journey's been it's been a lot of fun over the last yeah eight years or so. 
Fantastic. Yeah, because the thing is, there is no like manual or something when you start a business. Uh, I guess your book does help and gives something to, mm. to work from. But otherwise, uh, you know, everyone's just kind of stumbling along. For me personally, I felt like everyone else knew what they were doing until I started going to some networking events and talking to people in business for a few years. And like, oh, no, I had no idea in the beginning either. Uh, you just kind of like find your way. You talk to the right people. You just get that advice. So having these kind of resources like your book is really handy as a real like a, a great tool to refer to. Mm-hmm. And like you were saying, you can pick it up now, you know, just starting your health and wellness business, for example, mm-hmm. uh, and some parts won't be relevant till another three years down the track. But some of it would very well be relevant to set up now to get it right at the yep. beginning. Yeah, in the um, in the forward to the book, uh, David Dugan, who's my business coach uh, from Abundance Global, he he says it in a very nice way. He said he calls it a choose your own adventure book. You, you read through it once, and then you then you can really go back and look at it from a choose your own adventure point of view, and really pick out what's relevant for you because everyone's on a different journey. Everyone goes on a different business journey. Yeah, there's no no two businesses are the same. And so uh, there might be some parts, say you know, phase six is maximizing your business and bringing in investors and phase seven is potentially franchising. Most people won't probably won't do that, but at least it gives people an understanding of what they could do so they can make the decision about what they need to do. Because most people, as you, as you said, we don't know these things. I was a business lawyer for you know, eight years before I started my own business and I had no idea what I was doing. I thought I did, but I got... I got a very big schooling in the first few years about what I needed to do, which I'm, I'm sure is very common for most people. Yeah, because usually like I had the school, I could do this, but then when it comes to running your business and marketing it and all, everything else that goes into it, you're like, oh, crap, I didn't realise there was so much else that goes into it rather than I can do this, pay me. Uh- <laughs> that's right. And that's why that's why most businesses, I think it's 50 to 60% of businesses fail in the first five years. I think it's 70 to 90% fail in the first 10 years. And, and it's really because... You just don't know what you're getting yourself into. And that's why I love learning. And, and one of the reasons I wrote the book was to help business owners to really understand what they need to do, how to, how to minimize their risks, and really lets them plan for the future of what they want to do in their business going forward. Yeah, fantastic. So is there, when it comes to starting and or running a business, is there a particular legal aspect that's usually neglected? Um. Yes, <laughs> there's, there's a few. There's probably a few. <laughs> there's a few. Yeah. Uh, I think probably the one that's that's most neglected is really giving thought to how you're going to start up your business, what structure you're going to use to start up your business. And the reason that that's neglected is that normally people will just go and do what someone else has done or what a friend or a, or a colleague has done. However, what, what you need to do is really go back a step and figure out what you want to achieve. What's your goal in starting your business? If you're starting your health and wellness business because you want to sell it in three years' time or five years' time, that's a very different structure to if you want to just start it to that to be your job or your business for the next decade or two. And there's different structures. And I think too often what I see, uh, and not just people in the health and wellness space, people in all industries, they think to themselves, I'll just go and do what my neighbor did or my friend did or what my colleague did. But until you know what your goal is, and look at the the foundations of what of what you had what you have in place already. You don't know what that structure is, and so people just make an assumption, and they know we all know what they say about assumptions, <laughs> um, and and they make an assumption, and then and then it comes back to bite them later on because they haven't taken those right steps. And so simply having that conversation, I do this all the time with business owners uh, in all sorts of industries about what they want to achieve, and then they find out that what their friend is. Uh, put in place for their structure is different because they have different goals. 
So that would be my big thing that people miss. When yeah, they and it's business. so true because I, look, I always thought I'm going to start this business for just that's what I'm going to do for the next, yeah, 20 years or whatever, right? And it'll just evolve and turn to different things. But um, there are people in my network who are like, oh, I've just got onto this with the intention to sell in five years. And I had never had even crossed my mind that's what people did. Yep. I always thought they got into it just this is what they want to do forever. And it really opened my mind. So when I guess so investors and stuff like that, that's probably more involved there a lot of the time if you are hoping to really grow it and get it to grow quite quickly if you want to sell it in a few years um, versus your own, you might only have the investors that, I mean, it depends. Obviously, if you've got products and, and stuff mm. like that. For me, as a service-based, I don't see a, a reason to get investors involved, mm. at least not at the moment. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's very interesting that people do have different goals. And you've got to have that in mind for your, you know, what steps you need to take. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. So, yes, many of our listeners are probably thinking about or in the process of expanding their business. Mm. So we, you mentioned employees before. So what are some of the things they need to consider when it comes to bringing on employees? And I want to also ask the question of the employees versus contractors, subcontractors, that thing as well. Yeah, absolutely. Well, what, um, why don't I address that, that question first? Because the employee and contractor uh, conversation, let's call it that, uh, is something that goes on a lot in the health and wellness space, I know, and, and in other industries as well. Uh, I like to use the smell test. If it smells like an employee, it probably is an employee, right? Uh, the, the, yeah, the rules are designed. Do they shower? No, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Employees shower differently to contract. No, no. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, but I think that when you look at the relationship between uh, the business owner and the person, you can generally tell if it's an employee. And if really, if you're questioning it, it probably is an employee because the law does tilt on favor in favor of them being an employee rather than being a contractor. Because, yeah, the, the law, the government wants you to be paying their super so that someone's actually paying their super, someone's actually paying their taxes and it's not paid. So the law does go that way. And if you're if you're questioning it, I would say you're probably more an employee. Uh, but it does depend on the circumstances. And a general, a general rule of thumb is that if they're spending 80% of the time working for you or 80% or more, then they're an employee. If they've got the discretion to go and work for multiple different businesses, then they're a contractor. It just, it just, you have to look at all the different factors that go into the actual relationship. But I always say, if it smells, if you th- think it smells like an employee, it probably is. <laughs> so, employee, it, it's like oh, ongoing. They're going to be helping you in your salon or clinic like regularly for, you know, indefinite future. Then it's employee, whether, if, whether, on the other hand, it could be, oh, I'm just going to be busy. I know I'm slammed in July, so that's when I have someone helping me out, but I know it's probably going to be for a month. So then it probably is more of a contractor, yeah? That's right. And 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 the big key is can they go and work for someone else? And do you, do you have a problem with them going to work for somewhere else? Because most people do have a problem with that. And if, they, and if you do and, and they're not allowed to go and work for someone else, then they're probably an employee. Uh, if, even if they're a casual or part-time employee, they're probably an employee. So, yeah, I think I think you got to look at the circumstances. And and if they're going to be working for you for a, a long time, uh, or they have been working for, for you for a long time, then they probably are an employee too. And and I should say that that relationship could change without in, anyone realizing it as well. You could have them as a contractor, but then you bring them in because you get busier to do more and more work. You, you, more clients come in, more patients come in. Uh, that that could that could evolve over time. So it's something that you need to think about on a regular basis, just to consider whether someone might actually be an employee that started off as a contractor. 
So is there a lot more paperwork involved when they they transition to an employee? Like what what do you then do? What's the difference? I I would actually say there's probably about the same amount of paperwork. It's just literally that with an employee you're paying for, you've got to collect their super and you've got to send that to the government. Uh, You've got to uh, collect their tax, their PAYG tax, and, and send it off as well. So they're the main differences that that you have to do and if you're you you should be getting your bookkeeper to do all that stuff anyway so you shouldn't be doing it anyway so it shouldn't be that much of an extra imposition to do it to do that kind of work but whether or not you have a contract or an employee to go back to your your first part of your question you need to have a contract in place that actually sets out and defines the relationship that you expect from them and that they expect from you and one of the parts that i see people fall down really a lot here in in the health and wellness space and, and many other spaces is just grabbing something off the internet and thinking it's fit for purpose or grabbing something that their friend had and thinking it's fit for purpose at least have a read of it if it refers to us law and you're in australia or or it refers to australian law in the U, in and you're in the us it will be completely void and so at least read through it and make sure that you you've made sure that's right it's scarily and how many times i see that that happen where people just grab something they think that think will work they don't read it they just splash someone's name on it and go forward. So whether or not you're doing either way, you need to have that that contract in place to really define the relationship. Awesome. And so anything else they need to consider when it comes to bringing on employees? I mean, you need to have a, a certain level of consistent work to ensure mm. that you can sustain them. That's obviously a big factor people freak out about. Yeah, I think uh, the rule of thumb that I like to work on is if you've got enough work to cover half their salary, then that's a good time to start bringing someone in. So that's you know, half their salary over, over say, a six-month period and you've got consistent work. Uh, th- th- then that frees up your time because you have to have a bit of, bit of training time, making sure that you train them right. Uh, and then that frees up your time to go and get more work or, or they can bring more work in as well. That, that rule of thumb doesn't work for everyone, uh, but it is one that, that I've seen work quite successfully for a lot of, lot of businesses and business types. So, yeah, that, that would be my thoughts there. The other, the other document that I think a lot of people miss that would be handy is a um, employment manual. So a workplace manual, sometimes it's called workplace policies, employee policies. They set out the terms of what you expect people to do. And it's amazing how in this planet where there's seven and a half billion people, there's seven and a half different opinions, seven and a half billion different opinions about what people should do and what's appropriate conduct. Uh, so you need to define what for you is expected in your workplace. Uh, and, and in this world where we're all working remotely and, and oh, not all working remotely, but a lot of us are working remotely, you also need to define that. What's the roles and responsibilities of remote work and, and all that as well. Uh, so that's something that you know, usually once you get two or three employees, it becomes a must to have in place. Uh, but I would say even with with one, you, know, you you start to define the relationship because if you don't, they will fill the gap, <laughs> and they might fill the gap with something with with conduct or with their own thoughts about what you need to do, without actually considering your side of of, of the coin, and that can end up causing lots of problems and disputes between employers and employees. Yeah, the whole thing with the assumption <laughs> assumptions made, right? Yep. So you just lay out it. So that's it. That's um like how they treat customers. Whether you always want the same greeting on the phone, um, all that kind of stuff. Is yeah, right? dress codes. Yeah. Uh, you know how they present themselves. Uh, that that you can you can also define you know, their interaction on social media as well. If you define it and define it well, and they agree to it, then it's fine. So you know, I've seen some businesses um, in, in um, lots of different spaces where the 
you, we might define that that you can't be friends on Facebook and Twitter and all that with clients because you might get up to stuff on your own on, on the weekend that you uh, may not want clients to see or may not be appropriate for your, your business to see or th- those clients to see. So you can define those things. And so long as the employee understands the rules, so long as the rules are enforced for everyone and are consistently enforced, then you can actually you can actually enforce all those things. Okay. Yeah. Very interesting. Um, is there anything else about employees you think people need to know? Uh, I think just making sure that, again, yeah, it goes back to the goal that we talked yeah. about before about business. It's also when you bring on the employee, what's the goal that you're trying to achieve with that employee? And this is kind of putting my business coaching hat on more than my lawyer hat. Uh, <laughs> the, but thinking through and talking to them about what, why you're employing them, what you want them to achieve, having a really well-defined position description that goes with the empl- em- employment agreement or contractor agreement so that they know what you're expecting of them and that they know what their measure of success is. I think, again, that's something that we don't do well enough. And, and to be fair, Leanne, we don't do this well enough for uh, you know, most people, you know, in most relationships that we have, we don't define what success is. So when we don't define what success is, everyone makes up their own story. There's seven and a half billion stories out there in the world. So <laughs> you're better off putting it in paper so on paper so that there's no argument over it. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, now, I also wanted to touch upon uh, protecting intellectual property. Uh, can you please explain what that is, especially for anyone out there who's creating online courses or training and things like that? Um, yeah, explain what it is and how it can be protected. So intellectual property is a really interesting topic because intellectual property, especially in, in a lot of uh, businesses like health and wellness, uh, your intellectual property is a real value of your business because we all do businesses that are similar to other businesses, but it's the way that we deliver our service, the way that we deliver our products that is different. And so that's really your intellectual property. And the bad news is that intellectual property is actually very hard to protect. Uh, it, yeah, it, it just is because it's it's by its nature, it's what's in your mind. And so uh, it's very hard to protect and say, I came up with this idea first and I came up with that idea or I came up with this idea first. So I'll go through that there's probably there's two main types of intellectual property that you can register. One's a trademark and that's the, yeah, think of the, the golden arches for McDonald's. Yeah, they have that protected so no one else can go and use the golden arches or the word McDonald's in their space. Uh, A registered trademark isn't for everyone as well. Uh, If you don't have a brand that you want to fight to protect, then it may be that you don't go and protect your your trademark Uh, because once you're using a trademark, someone can't just come and stop you from using it if you've been using it as your business. Now, they can stop you from expanding with it and going to other places, but they can't actually stop you from using it. And if you're using your name, for instance, then it's probably not 100% necessary to register a trademark because there are other protections. There's this concept, and I won't go into the boring legal side of it, uh, there's a concept called passing off. So if someone's passing off pretending to be you, so someone came up with you know, another podcast that was like you know, something like Marketing and Me uh, and, with, you know, and had a similar picture on there, then that might be them passing themselves off as, as your podcast and they can't do that. So there are protections in place uh, and, and really you know, as far as registering a trademark, this is where you want to go and talk to a lawyer uh, who spe- specialises in, in business and also intellectual property. You know, often we talk about specialising in intellectual property 
but often they're not really business-minded people and they're just like, oh, yeah, register the trademark, register everything. And that can be a, a, a big cost imposition that's unnecessary. Um, the other one that really wouldn't apply that everyone talks about is patents. And that's really where you've got an invention of some sort of process where, that you want to protect. So if you've got a factory or something. So, so we won't go into any details about that. That's what a patent is. The main thing that that people in the in the professions and the health and wellness space can protect is using copyright. So copyright protects the expression of an idea. So take my book. We, we, we talked about it before. I have copyright in that book. So no one can go and use that, cop- that, that material without my consent. There are some exemptions for educational purposes and, and a few other things too. Uh, but in general sense, no one can copy my book and go and, and, and publish it as their own. They could, however, take the concepts that are in there and rewrite it with their own words and their own language. And there's nothing I can do to stop them from doing that because there's no legal protection on the idea. It's just the expression of the idea. And so I, I give a lot of advice uh, to professionals. And, and um, I did a conference a few months ago for a bunch of occupational therapists, so in the, the health and wellness space. And uh, this question has been asked about checklists and uh, client forms and all the rest of that. And the 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 sad part is that you can't stop someone if they get take your document and they make lots of changes to it, but in substance use your document for themselves. However, if they go and copy it directly, then you can stop them. So uh, it is a it is a bit of an, a, a difficult thing to enforce because it's very easy for someone to say, "Oh, I just I came up with this myself." And how do you ever prove that that they didn't? And are you really going to spend thousands of dollars with a lawyer? going up, you know, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars with a lawyer on that. Um, so you've got to be careful about what it is that you want to protect. But, you know, I do, I do know that that is a question I get asked a lot in the health and wellness space. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's mainly protect the expression of your ideas. And usually, you know, I had, a, I had an example from that conference actually where someone came up to me and said, oh, look, you know, I had this, this checklist that we use for our, our, um, our clients and we, we and we have, have it and the the um the business down the road just took that scrubbed out the name and put their logo on it <laughs> we could stop that because it was clearly it came, it came from us but if they'd moved things around then it would have been harder to, to change and harder to protect going forward yeah yeah no it's it's scary but i mean there's a whole thing that you know there's no real original thought um and if you you know obviously the stuff that you have in your book it's all based it's all fact so mm-hmm. it's not like people can change it too much to be creative but the way you word it can definitely be your own voice um and you also pull from other resources too to make it a full well-researched piece right and yes. that's what i say for people with blogs I say, look, yes, you can get inspiration from your competitors, but if you're copying and pasting, it's not you. So, and you're, you should stand alone and, and have your own brand voice and everything. So it's, there's no point. But yes, yeah, some people take the easy way out going, oh, I guess I'll copy and it's the same stuff anyway. Mm. No, you can still make it different and make it yours. Um, yeah. And imitation is the greatest form of flattery. And in an, in an abundant world, if you go on the internet, you can find out most things that that are on there. It's how someone delivers the service. It's how someone uh, how you interact with your clients. That's the real difference going forward. So I, I don't think there's no talk about changing the laws on that because I think it's just too hard to police. And it would be there'd be people just clogged up in court for <laughs> for, lots, for for years and years and years getting nowhere. So it's just something that we've got to accept and just make sure that we're providing the best service to our clients so that they keep on coming back to us. And you know, just because someone's using your checklist 
doesn't mean that they're going to um, provide the same service as you. Yeah, very true. Uh, so do you have any other quick legal tips for the health and wellness business owners listening in? Uh, I think th- probably the only other thing is uh, uh, phase three, which is um, initial clients. So bringing in clients and actually having like a proper agreement with them. Uh, because again, you might do stuff with a client for over a period of time. Uh, you don't want to have a big, long legal document that you know no one's going to read but just even just a again a document that sets out the rules of, of who's doing what and how long it's going to go for and when payments are going to be due I think that's another thing that we miss because we just get so eager to get in and start doing work for our clients right because we, we want to help people and I get that that you know as a you know I don't do any law anymore uh when I did you know I, I was guilty of that on on a regular basis of just getting in before we actually put the agreement in place but actually defining that agreement actually helps everyone. So I've talked about it a lot in this in this um, podcast, but that's because it's it's so necessary and people need to have those protections in place for them and their business. Otherwise, when there's a dispute, it's very hard to define who's right. And it's so funny you say that because I realise I've dropped the ball and haven't <laughs> done some agreements lately. I used to do it all the time. Um, but then when things got busy, I'm like, oh, that's what we to get started. Okay, it's no time to go rework that document. So, yes, thanks for the reminder. Um, <laughs> I'm going to go and fix it up. Um, yeah, no, that, that's a really good point because I know that there's been times where I haven't had an agreement in place and things have kind of stayed off course and I haven't anything to refer back to apart from maybe, I mean, if you have an email, I guess there is something at least in writing, but it yeah. can't just be based on conversations because there's no record of it. That's right. And anything in writing can be used to, uh, to to form a contract. So a contract can be formed by emails. It can be formed by text messages. It can be formed by words. The problem with words is that you, you know, people, you know, he said, she said kind of arguments. Um, and then to resolve it, you've got to go to court and the judge has got to decide who's right. And it, guess what? They never decide that you're right. They all, And they never decide the other side's right. They always decide somewhere in the middle. So you're better off just doing it early on to, to stop that problem. And don't don't worry, most people most people drop the ball on that on a regular basis because we're technicians, we want to help our clients, we want to do the right thing by them, and we're not thinking about the bad things that happen. That's what lawyers are there for. We're, yeah, that's where, that's where my frustration that I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast came in, that because we're such a reactive profession, we don't stop that from happening. And because, we're, because we don't stop that from happening, clients keep on falling into that into that quagmire. So it's a matter of just realizing that and, and getting advice where you need to. Yeah, no, that, that's very true. I do at least have it all laid out in emails, so yeah. I'm covered. That's fine. Uh, yep. So this has been, yeah, really great chat. Thank you so much. Um, now, I asked a couple of these questions uh, to all my guests, and one is what's the best marketing method for your business? Uh, for me, it's getting on podcasts, actually, uh, getting on podcasts and talking to uh, cool uh, podcast hosts and getting the message out there because it's it's one of those areas that uh, not a lot of people do, even though there's hundreds of thousands of podcasts, but uh, I found it to be a really effective way of reaching the audience that I want to reach. Fantastic. And how do you take care of your health and wellness? Um, I make sure that I exercise at least three times a week, go out for a run. Uh, and I also make sure I go and sit in the sun for at least five minutes a day as well. So I uh, I live in Queensland and so it's quite sunny up here. Um, and uh, my back balcony is really nice in the morning, in the in the morning sun. So yeah, I do that and make sure I exercise on a regular basis. And I, the third thing I mentioned before, I have a six and a seven-year-old um, uh, kids, I always make sure I hug them every day and make sure I, I make, make sure that we um, are connecting that way um, to make myself and them feel better. 
Oh, I love that. Yes, nothing like a hug. I mean, I, this morning I was like, oh, should I get out of bed? Oh, yeah, I will now, just as my four-year-old walked in and I'm like, oh, actually I'll stay here for some cuddles. And it's just, you know, um, put me. I was, I was in a good mood and I go out of bed. That's the yep. main thing. Um, it wasn't her coming in going, make me food. <laughs> she was happy to, because then that puts me in a whole different, yeah, <laughs> mood. Because uh, I'm back on the, you know, on the back foot right from the beginning going, oh, I'm serving people straight away what about me <laughs> so the cuddle was nice uh it was a bit mutual and um how can people connect with you so i've put together a web page if people go to businesslegallifecycle.com slash marketing and meet uh we'll have some resources on there uh we'll have uh, a link to a free sample of the book uh the most important part which is the startup phase we're talking about the structures uh so if people are interested in that if you have already started a business I'd still encourage you to get on there and have a read of that because you can always make changes. Uh, and also, we haven't really talked about it. Uh, in One of the other things we developed was an online um, test, which takes about 10 minutes. You answer about 30 questions and it places you within the life cycle and really identifies your legal risks and works out what are you missing from your business from a legal perspective uh, so that you can either you can take that to your lawyer or we actually have a refer to a lawyer service where you can get a referral to a lawyer if if you want to um, get someone to have a look at what you got. And we normally charge 40, uh, sorry, $97 for that. Uh, and as a thank you for having me on here, if you follow the promo codes in the in on that page, you'll get it up for half price of $48.50 as a thank you for, for having us on the, on here. Oh, awesome. Thanks, that, Jeremy. Yes, so get on that. I'll, I'll put in the show notes in case you missed that link. Uh, but yes, no, thank you. It's been really great. Uh, of course, if you've got any further information, um, can, so p- they can follow your contacts and everything on there too, and they can follow you and reach out to you. Actually, um, on, on that point, that um, if they want to connect with me on LinkedIn, uh, I put up lots of content on there. Uh, just search my name. I'm the only Jeremy Stratton that I've ever seen with my spelling of my name in, in the world. So uh, okay. yeah, people will find me nice and easy. Fantastic. Yes, there's a few the Shelton's, but I think I'm one of the most um, yeah prominent on LinkedIn <laughs> with all my all my posts. So um, fantastic! Thanks for today's chat, Jeremy. It's been great, and uh, and thanks to you, dear listener, for tuning in. You can find show notes for the episode at marketingandme.com.au. If you enjoy listening, please subscribe and leave me a rating and a review via iTunes, and grab a screenshot of this episode and share it across your socials. If you're interested in connecting with me, feel free. To- to reach out via LinkedIn, to search for Leanne Shelton and let me know you're a fan of the show. You can also find me on Instagram under Leanne Shelton 247 or of course, book in a free 15 minute chat because I'd absolutely love to chat about how I can help you grow a thriving health and wellness business. Until next time, I wish you good health and good wealth.